Hey there, it's Hillary. And if you're new to the show, I just want to take a moment to say welcome. And I want to give you some tips on what episodes to listen to to get you started. If you heard me tell my story on Fresh Air with Terry Gross, I want you to check out my interview with Terry. She talks in this really intimate way about why she didn't have kids. And there's this little moment in the interview that our staff has nicknamed Terry Gross's Nightmare. I love this moment so much. I love the whole interview. Just listen. It's episode 79. We also have a series called The Accidental Gay Parents. This series is probably the thing that we're most known for at this show. It's about a trans man and his partner who literally become parents overnight. And so much more happens. That starts with episode 61. And if you like surprises, check out episode 70. It's called There's Something About Andy. You can find our full Longest Shortest Time starter kit at LongestShortestTime.com. And that's also where you can learn more about my new book, Weird Parenting Wins. I'm on tour for that book right now. This weekend, I'll be in Brooklyn. I'll be at Word in Greenpoint on Sunday, February 10th at 3.30. Emily Flake is going to join me. She's a New Yorker cartoonist and author of the great book, Mama Tried. Kids are welcome. It's going to be super fun. We'll play What's on My Butt. (laughs) Just come say hi. You'll see what I mean. Okay, on to the show with our host, Andrea Salenzi. Lucy Nisley has captured most of her life in comics. She's drawn what it's like to be an only child with divorced parents, what it's like to be an art student in Chicago working part-time at a cheese shop, and she's drawn what it's like to go on a cruise with your elderly grandparents. Lucy draws people with these clean, simple lines and dot eyes. Think Tintin more than Dick Tracy. Every panel is rendered in bright watercolors, and they feel like beautiful, funny meditations on change and growing up. Lucy has also been fascinated by motherhood and pregnancy since she was six years old, because that's when her mom told her how babies are made. When Murphy Brown got pregnant on TV, Lucy was glued to the set. She read What to Expect When You're Expecting, again at six years old. She stuffed pillows up her shirt pretending to be pregnant, and she dressed up her childhood cat in a baby bonnet. It's just always been something that I really dreamed about, you know, growing up and all through my adolescence. And I knew that it was something that I wanted for myself in the future. What was your image that came to mind when you think about becoming a mom? I've drawn this many times before as sort of just holding hands and walking down the street. You know, I grew up in New York City with my parents just tagging along after my mom, and I really wanted that experience of showing my kid the world, showing them the city, just in the way that I love, walking down the street. This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Andrea Salenzi. On today's show, how Lucy's adorable picture of motherhood went a little squiggly, and the story she ended up drawing was way more complicated. Lucy's always had a pretty sunny outlook about pregnancy. My mother led me to believe that parenting was effortless, fun, childbirth was no big deal, and that it was, you know, all sunshine and roses. But Lucy's husband, John, didn't see the roses or sunshine. 
When they first started dating, John was 25, and he already knew that he never, ever wanted to have kids. And he didn't just casually feel that way. No, John kept a running list on his phone of every article he could find about the negative impact of having kids, just in case it ever came up. The one that was most meaningful to me, or the one that really resonated with me, was the survey data on people measuring themselves as less happy when they became parents, which I believe is the case for a majority of people surveyed. And I think that even that more than one study has been done on this and has validated the data, but I'm not positive. You don't have your notes I on don't you right now notes, to, yeah. to cite. <laughs> <laughs> the research John is referring to here, he's sort of right and he's sort of wrong, but we'll come back to that. I thought that the challenges of parenthood outweighed the things that would be fun about it. Honestly, it seemed like there were a lot of risks that could happen, and fitting those difficulties into your life logistically seemed uh, so hard. Is this like a John thing to be thinking about the risks a lot? (laughs) It's an extremely John thing. (laughs) It is completely John. He's, uh, you know, he's got this engineering brain that I've always really admired. You know, he's able to kind of look at things in a factual sort of statistical drawbacks and positives way that really is kind of alien to me. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that that's where this anxiety about having kids kind of came from is that he was looking at all the data. And I think going into it, you have to have some certain amount of (laughs) denial (laughs) of all of these things (laughs) to get through it. I, I think that's true for a lot of things. John and Lucy dated for as long as they could before facing the kids' question head on. And they loved living together and shared a fluffy orange cat. When they looked the idea of babies in the eye, they both knew there wasn't any changing the other person's mind. They broke up, moved to other cities. But in satisfying rom-com fashion, they also kept in touch and would visit each other for long, confusing weekends. They were still pretty into each other. Yeah, we'd smooch big time. (laughs) There were, like, periods of time where we'd be dating other people where we wouldn't smooch, but most of the time we'd smooch. (laughs) Yeah, when we would get together, the way I would always describe it to other people was it was like relationship fantasy camp. This remembers when John stayed in her tiny apartment. Other guys made her feel cramped, not John. When you guys were dating other people, Lucy, you drew a picture of a sexy lady going, he'll want to have kids with me. (laughs) Is that a thing that you would worry about, that he would have a change of heart or that his feelings about kids was tied to his feelings about wanting to be with you long term? Oh, yeah. I was sort of waiting for that to happen. I was waiting for him to be like, I'm getting married and I'm having kids with this other woman. And then I would have had to, like, drop a bomb on him. So (laughs) Nothing else to do. Only solution. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that would, that's the inevitable thing that would have to happen. You just have to <laughs> drop a bomb on him. So I uh, I was coming to the realization that this was probably not healthy for me to see John as often as I was at the time. And that, you know, it was probably bad for me to continue to be hung up on this guy who I didn't have a future with. One summer, John went to see Lucy in New York. And on one of his last nights visiting, Lucy remembers getting ready for bed. She changed into her pajamas blue boxers with little manatees, and came out into the living room. John asked Lucy to sit down. 
Cartoon Lucy's apartment goes completely black except for the couch, Lucy, and John. And John said, I have something to tell you. I'm still in love with you. And I said, I'm still in love with you, too. Yeah. And I do want to have kids. And I wanted to do that with you. And then I had the ring, uh, which I presented to you. (laughs) (laughs) You were like, I think we're a little beyond dating at this point. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Cartoon Lucy, in this moment, stares at the ring. But the words... Proposal, marriage, ring, love, pretty, floating in confusion over her head. Turns out John's list of kid objections was pretty fragile. As he grew from 25 into his 30s, the bachelor life didn't feel like enough. Slowly and then all of a sudden, he was ready to go straight from broken up to engaged. The big thing that I think about to this day is happy versus fulfilled or happy versus doing meaningful things. I would have the thought, like, am I personally going to find this life good for me when I'm 40 and 45 and 50 and 60? It was really thinking down the road. And even though I I still to this day feel like I could have done that and had a lot of fun for a few more years in a way. (laughs) But, like, I didn't want to get started on all that when I was too far along in my life. And then there was this other thing where I started to realize that I really, if I was going to have a kid, I really wanted to do it with Lucy. You know, I wasn't going to sit around and wait for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was the other thing. Is that once I realized that I wanted to, that I, this was something I wanted to do with you, then it was like time's a wasting. You know, like Lucy's living in New York City. She's single. <laughs> like literally any day, she could just meet somebody, and that would be it. I would have missed my window. Okay, as a single woman in New York City, I actually don't think that's true. But I was going to say, <laughs> I was going to say, yes, you continue to labor under that. Delusion, that yes. <laughs> I think I would have had to like be able to afford to leave my apartment in order to meet somebody outside. <laughs> Were you convinced in that moment that he really had come around to wanting kids? Is that all it takes? Yeah, he's a planner, you know, he's like a super planner. He would never make the plan to, like, get the ring and transport it to New York and, like, do this whole speech for me if he didn't really just want to have kids with me. Lucy announced her engagement with a comic titled, There's a Light That Never Goes Out. It's the name of a Smith song she listened to a lot when she and John broke up. John and Lucy got married in 2014, and two months after their wedding— Lucy got pregnant for the first time. So we were still kind of riding the high of our wedding and, like, being newlyweds. And and then it was like, oh, and we're pregnant. Yay! And, you know, it was sort of a barrel of riches. (laughs) We were getting so much attention from our families and, you know, so much societal approval and all this weird stuff that you, you, like, don't understand how to navigate until you're in it. But a few weeks later, Lucy went in for an ultrasound and found out she'd had a miscarriage. The shock hit Lucy hard. She stayed curled up in her bed for days, and it took her months to be able to talk about it, even with her mom or John. I had to sit with my feelings for a long time and process what I'd gone through. Lucy drew her way out of the grief. The comic is entirely in black and white. Cartoon Lucy crouches in a hole of sadness that grows deeper and deeper, And then she emerges by climbing up a giant pencil. It took me a long time to make the comic. I had to recover enough to kind of set pen to paper. And I really do think that 
this desire to tell your story and to make art and make poetry and writing about miscarriage is a pretty recent phenomenon. In society, it was so taboo to discuss it. You know, you're not even supposed to tell people you're pregnant early on, lest they have to deal with the knowledge that you miscarried at some point. So for me, it was a really big deal to tell this story and to make this comic. And it was very important to me to tell the story because I was reaching out from the bottom of this hole that I was in of depression and pain to make another human connection that would bring me out of it. Lucy and John kept trying to have a kid. She got pregnant again, miscarried again. She felt so tired. By then, she and John had been trying for eight months to get pregnant. She took some time off, and her therapist suggested she go see a reproductive endocrinologist. When she did, Lucy found out she had a uterine septum, a wedge inside her uterus that made it difficult for embryos to implant. The space inside most uteruses looks like a triangle. The space inside Lucy's pink cartoon uterus looked like a tiny heart. Lucy had surgery to remove the septum. And a few months later, in 2015, she got pregnant and stayed pregnant. What was pregnancy like for you? Oh, the worst. (laughs) It was the worst. Oh, my God. I had the worst morning sickness. It It was all day, all night and all day. I was throwing up, and it was like a fire hose coming out of me. It was horrible. It was so gross. And nothing worked to stem it. All I could do was, like, lie on the floor of our bathroom and, like, try and force myself to, like, eat yogurt in the bathroom. It was horrible. Cartoon Lucy turns bright green, sweaty. Her eyes, nose, and mouth are drawn shakily like they're about to slide off her face. And a cloud of blue and green bubbles float around her head. And I was like, oh, I'm so grateful for this. But also, I am I feel like I'm dying. <laughs> I couldn't work and I couldn't socialize and I couldn't do anything. And all I could do was just lie there being a miserable pregnant rag pile. Well, Lucy was trying not to throw up everywhere. John was dealing with the age-old panic of realizing you're really, really about to become a parent. Just because I wanted to have kids doesn't mean I felt like 100% prepared to have a kid right now. Did you realize he was having doubts? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He uh, he was very anxious, and he he has all these tells. Patting your head in furious stress. Uh, nervous tick, yeah. yeah. I think you pet your head, like you pet all your hair off during that pregnancy. <laughs> By Lucy's third trimester, Cartoon Lucy was waddling along the sidewalk while Cartoon John was radiating stress lines. By this point, Lucy was starting to feel pretty bad physically. She had a hard time breathing. She developed a pregnancy snore that sometimes kept John awake. And she was constantly thirsty. Oh, my God. I drank, like, a case of LaCroix every couple of days. And, like, we live across the street from a grocery store, so I would just, like, heave my body to the grocery store and buy another case and, like, wagon it home. But I started having these really weird... Symptoms, my hands and feet swelled really quickly overnight, and, like, my wedding ring got trapped on my finger. Lucy was terrified the doctors would have to cut her ring off at the hospital when she went into labor. She spent weeks trying to get it off. Dental floss, lotion, ice, Vaseline. In the end, she was able to free her finger with a combination of medical tape, Windex, and ice. John got her a silicone ring as a replacement for the rest of her pregnancy. I had this weird experience where one day I was washing the dishes and I 
I broke out into a cold sweat and just had this horrible pain radiating from my rib cage, my right, the right side of my rib cage where I was incapacitated for like 15 minutes. I was just like on the floor sweating and um, like writhing around. And then it went away. Lucy happened to have a doctor's appointment later that same day. She asked about the sudden pain and, oh yeah, also the snoring and the difficulty breathing. My doctor was like, yep, you're pregnant. That's typical. Is that what your doctor sounds like? Yes, he sounded like the Fonz. He was very like, yeah, you're fine. Questions? No? Great. See ya. Lucy started drawing herself as an egg with little wisps of hair and noodly arms and tiny legs. As she counted down to her due date, her sketchbook pages became crammed full of snippets of her day, waddling to the grocery store, painting on the porch, being too big to bend over and pet her cat. There's one comic where Cartoon Lucy is clinging to a full-body pillow with a nearby box fan going full blast. She starts to laugh uncontrollably and tells John, I'm at optimal comfort level and I'm so uncomfortable. John asks, what's the main source of your discomfort? And Lucy cries, my body, before dissolving into hysterical laughter. And it was like the hottest June Chicago had seen in a long time waited around and waited around and waited around and I was so angry and huge and orb-like by this time that I was just this like death star in our house (laughs) this angry egg so I was like come on let's go Lucy drew her relationship even when they broke up her wedding even when it rained and when Lucy and John miscarried her comics about grief touched a nerve with her audience so Lucy knew Tough things make you tougher, and people can actually relate to it. So going into labor, Lucy felt scared, excited, nervous, but felt like things would be okay. She imagined drawing the moment when she and John would finally meet their baby son. But it wasn't going to be as easy to draw as she thought it would be. Stay with us. Can you say advertisements? Advertisements. (laughs) Welcome back. After Lucy's contraction started, she and John headed to the hospital. It was 3 a.m. Streets were totally empty. When they got there, the nurses told Lucy she wasn't dilated enough. They made me walk around the corridors of the hospital, which did nothing except, like, make me cold because I had to wear a big tent And then they sent us home, and I spent, like, another 24 hours back at my home, also being in labor, just low-level pain and agony. And then 4 a.m. the next day, we went back to the hospital. In 24 hours, Lucy had only dilated another centimeter. But she was in so much pain that a sympathetic nurse admitted her into the hospital so she could have an epidural. So I was terrified and in pain, and the pain and the fear were, like, feeding off of each other, and I was— just tired. (laughs) I was tired and I'd been in pain for a long time, you know, months. I seem to be friends with all these women who are kind of earth mother goddesses who are like, oh, I just, you know, I was, I was so ready to meet my baby. And I was so like, it it was such a beautiful process kind of thing. And I was like, no, I was so scared (laughs) and I just wanted it to be over. What's the last thing you remember? The last thing I remember is that I had been in labor for a really long time And the epidural failed on one side of my body, which apparently can happen after a period of time. 
A burst of bright orange stars crowd around Cartoon Lucy's body as the pain comes exploding back. And I was, like, screaming, like, screaming. You know, they had to call the anesthesiologist back in to, like, help me deal with the pain, and they they got the, the medication going again, and um, I, I kind of, like you know, got it under control again. And then they were like, you know what, you, this is like, this is not going well for you. (laughs) You know, you've been in labor for like 40 hours. You're exhausted. You haven't slept. You're terrified. And at that point, I was only four centimeters dilated. And you're supposed to get to 10 before you like can start to push and stuff. So like not even halfway at that point. So they were like, all right, I think it's time to talk about a C-section. And I remember that Throughout my pregnancy, everybody was like, oh, try and avoid a C-section. C-sections are really bad. Don't do a C-section. Don't do a C-section. So I was kind of conditioned to also be scared of that. So I was like, oh, God, that's even scarier. So I signed the paper, like, okay, C-section, let's do it. And as I am signing it, I start to throw up on my doctor, just like start to throw up and couldn't really stop throwing up. All of a sudden, the monitor started going crazy And there were lots of scary beep noises, and everybody started kind of panicking and rushing around. And I started to get really scared for the baby. And they wheeled me out of the room, and that is the last thing that I remember. This is the part in Lucy's comics where she stops writing from her point of view. She doesn't remember anything that happened for the next two days. Instead, we're now seeing John's point of view. The comics go from full color to all gray. Instead of ink and watercolor— Lucy draws John's pages in rough, dark gray pencil. I'm left in the waiting room alone, wringing my hands for a few minutes. One of the nurses comes back. This is John reading from the comic about their son's birth. He's reading his narration, and Lucy's reading the other parts herself, the doctors and the nurses. You're John? Here, put these on and come with me. I walk in right as a doctor is carrying a baby from Lucy's lower half to a side room. And yeah, that's the point at which uh, I, I basically that that was my first time looking at my son. Uh, is I, I showed up right after he must have come out. Lucy looks yellow and out of it. We talk while she's still being operated upon. Did you see him? Is he okay? I don't know. And then a nurse says, "Would you like to meet your son? Come with me." Go, please. Lucy and John don't use their son's real name in public. They use a nickname, Pal, short for palindrome, because he was born on a palindrome date, June 13th, 2016, or 61316. I lay eyes on Pal and break down sobbing. I rejoin Lucy with Pal in my hands. I hold Pal up against Lucy's arm and face. Hello, sweetie. I love you. Then something starts beeping. Love you. Lucy turns yellower. The docs seem concerned. So much. A nurse takes tiny cartoon pal away for tests, and a second nurse escorts John to an empty waiting room where he waits for a long time. It's late at night, around 10 p.m. The doctor comes in finally. Lucy had what appeared to be a seizure. We're having a hard time getting her bleeding under control. I call Lucy's mom, who is in the main hospital waiting area, and fill her in. Uh, So I'm on the phone then saying... They don't really know what's going on. Oh, God. Cartoon John's eyebrows are permanently furrowed. The doctor comes back. We're still trying to control the bleeding. I have to discuss a possibility with you. 
If we can't get the bleeding to stop, we may have to perform an emergency hysterectomy. So I'm left alone waiting again for a while, and then after a long time... She's stable, but she's on a breathing tube, and she's heading to the surgical ICU. She lost three liters of blood, which is about half the blood in her body. By now, it's nearly 2 a.m. I meet up with our parents in the waiting room, and I take them to the nursery to meet Pal, then to the ICU to see Lucy. But when we arrive, the ward is locked. Hello? Is anyone there? So this is me trying to find someone on the intercom. A nurse tells them they're still settling Lucy into her room, and they need to wait. Lucy's mom starts to cry on John's shoulder. And that is a pretty true-to-life scene of Lucy's mom. Uh, just, you know, we were all so worried at the time. We didn't know what was going on. We hadn't seen Lucy in a long time. We just knew things did not go as planned. When I'm finally allowed to see my wife, Lucy is unconscious. She has a breathing tube strapped to her face, heart monitors on her chest, five IVs in her arms, restraints so she doesn't mess with the breathing tube if she wakes up. Uh, A respiratory technician comes in to stabilize the carbon dioxide in Lucy's blood. They change out her IV to fix her high levels, or maybe it was her low levels of potassium. I can't remember. They listen to her breathing to test how much fluid she has in her lungs. Neurologists join to examine her to try to discern the cause of her seizures. Uh, And then... The working theory is eclampsia. And I stay up all night watching my family. All of these symptoms Lucy experienced during pregnancy, the sudden swelling, her difficulty breathing, the blurry vision, her difficulty dilating, those had all been signs of preeclampsia. It's a pregnancy complication, usually characterized by sudden high blood pressure. Lucy's doctor didn't notice because Lucy normally has lower-than-average blood pressure. If undiagnosed, eclampsia can lead to seizures during and after birth. Blood loss, it can kill you. Coming out of it was really rough because they put me on magnesium, and it made me crazy loopy. And I I remember, like, I I couldn't find my glasses, and I couldn't find my—the only shoes that fit my— giant pregnant feet were flip-flops and I'd come in with flip-flops and then they just like disappeared and all of the moves around the hospital and I was like how am I gonna leave if I can't find my flip-flops I was like obsessed with it at the time and I just remember like I couldn't focus my mind away from these things and be like I am a mom now I was just sort of like my body hurts and I have no shoes (laughs) 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 I can't see (laughs) and I can't focus, and I don't know what's happening, really. So it was kind of gradual coming out of it. What do you guys wish you had known before going to the hospital that day? I'm trying to think of anything that would have We took all the classes. We read all the books. People had told us their own experiences, and— we read the articles and prepared ourselves as best we could. We knew it, and we we were still so blindsided. Part of what I wish that I'd known, and this is, like, not very PC to say, but after the fact, when I was in recovery, I 
I was in bad shape. You know, I had preeclampsia and I'd had to have this emergency C-section that was really hard on me and I had, you know, almost bled out on the table. And I asked the nurses, like, is this what a C-section is? Is this why I was told to, like, be terrified of this? And they were like, oh, no, honey. If you have this stuff diagnosed ahead of time, they schedule you for a C-section and you come in and they take the baby out and you, like, go home the next day. You're, like, totally fine. To hear this was so shocking to me that I was like, oh, a C-section is like what saved my life, what saved my child's life. And had my doctor paid attention when I told him that I thought I had preeclampsia, I would have had it scheduled and it would have been a whole different experience. It would perhaps not have been the trauma that it was having my child. A year after Pal was born, Lucy started turning her sketchbook diaries into what would become her book about pregnancy the book she'd promised her publisher was going to be like her other books, a story told from her perspective about her own experience. But if you don't actually remember the moment you gave birth to your son and the memories you do have are painful to spend time with, what do you do? More in a bit. Don't go away. Advertisements. <laughs> Welcome back. When Lucy first planned on making comics about pregnancy, she thought it would be about the wonders of pregnancy and birth. But her own experience was a lot about the complications that come with growing another human inside your own body. When Lucy started writing her chapter all about birth, the part she missed thanks to the seizure, she was lucky because John had this next-level husband info that he could share with her. As you may have guessed from John's demeanor, he's an assiduous note-taker. <laughs> He's smart enough to know that when all of this was going down, he would need to stay informed of what was happening medically to me. So he kept these really thorough notes at the time. Yeah, and the other thing was I was taking those notes in the moment. There were these periods of time in between where I was just in a room by myself. Yeah. So that's when I was taking the notes. It was as it was happening, and the doctor would come tell me something, I would write down what he told me. So that felt like some small way that I could— help the situation. I mean, I, it's it's all out of my hands, right? It was just like this horrible situation where I was watching some unknown trauma befall my wife. And, oh, also my first son was, my first kid was just born. And it was like this insane emotional bomb just went off that had no parallel in my life thus far. I did far. drop a bomb on you. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like to have these important days of your life be things that you couldn't remember? It sucked. <laughs> I mean, I, I I was so frustrated and so sick, and it made me really angry that I couldn't remember my child's birth. And also that I was in this situation where I had been conditioned to be proud of myself for, like, giving birth and carrying this child. And I felt so, so much like I had failed, like I had failed to give birth to him it had had to I'd had to be sawed open and he sort of Kool-Aid manned his way out of me instead of me doing the hard work the labor and uh, I felt like that had been taken away from me that I I didn't I didn't do my job I was so disappointed in myself and now I couldn't even remember his first days like my body had failed on so many levels and now I was like failing as a mother right off the bat drawing 
this experience after the fact was sort of reliving this trauma (laughs) for an entire year uh, in slow motion. But I will say that it's probably kind of accelerated therapy. (laughs) And then almost dying in childbirth changed the book for me and made it become something else, made it become this story about women's health and reproductive health and this moment in time where we are so advanced medically and technologically and women are still dying in childbirth at a higher rate in the U.S. than in any other developed nation. Sean, how often do you flash back to that experience? Oh, as little as possible. (laughs) (laughs) It was so scary and difficult. You know, I've lived such a blessed life in so many ways that that's really maybe the worst episode of my life in a way. It feels horrible to say that because it, it was also, it, you know, the happiest moment. Really. I love my son more than anything. And to have such strong negative feelings about some aspects of that experience, it, it's confusing to think back on it in a way. Not to trivialize this, but I think of it, you know how sometimes there's like, an album or a movie or something you can listen to or watch, and you think, oh, I, I can't listen to that album right now even though I love it because it just makes me sad. Or it, like I can't listen to certain music at work because it's like too powerful a thing to think about or experience at the time. That's my son's birth for me. Uh, it's, it's just a lot to think about and a lot to process. And I don't, I, I'm so happy with the way he is right now. And there are so many other memories that are unequivocally good to think about in his life that... Um, that it sucks that your wife just made a whole book about the most traumatic experience of both of our lives. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not easy to think about. Baby Pal is two and a half years old now. He talks a lot. He loves wearing a hot dog costume, even when it's not Halloween, and he's currently really into fighting dragons. Cartoon Pal looks a lot like the babies from old Looney Tunes cartoons. Lucy's favorite thing to do with him right now is bath time. One of the things that my son and I like to do after his tub at night, he comes out and I like swaddle him in a towel, which is funny because he's gigantic. He's like the biggest two and a half year old you've ever seen. So I I swaddle him in a towel, which is really hard because a towel doesn't really fully cover him. And then I hold him like a little baby and I go, oh, it's my newborn baby. It's my little baby. And he sort of goes, when? Like, I want a bottle. And like, whatever tub toy he's been playing with or whatever, I like let him suck on it as his bottle. And it's like, oh, here you go, baby. So we get to kind of rebirth him every night after tubby time that like he he gets to come out and be my little newborn baby and I think it's really healing for both of us although every time (laughs) every time John comes in afterwards I go look at our baby it's our newborn baby he's 30 pounds and John's like rolling his eyes because the joke never gets old for me (laughs) (laughs) do you see yourself doing this for a while as long as he'll let me (laughs) 25-year-old John used to worry that having kids was going to make him less happy. Since then, there's research that shows that parental happiness is complicated. The Max Planck Institute for Demographic Research, they're one of the biggest groups studying populations around the world. They found that when you survey the same people before and after they have kids, people actually get a little spike of happiness when that kid comes along. But it also depends on how old you are, how much money you have. Are you less happy? 
I think in some ways, well, I, I, I'm trying to give an honest answer to that because I think in some ways, yeah, like the, the all the logistical stuff is just as difficult as I expected it to be. The sleep thing is is real. It's still really hard. You know, you don't know how much of this is just time passing by or what, but it, 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 like I don't have that many strong memories from some of these other parts of my life. You know, like my my pre parenthood life blurs together a little bit more than it used to. It, it, as much as I was happy at that time, I think of myself as happy now. The the good moments that I've had with my kid, I feel like I wouldn't have traded for anything. Overall, the Max Planck data says you tend to be as happy after kids as you were before kids. I've been thinking back on a chill 20-something John who definitely doesn't want to have kids ever and he's going to have to break up with you over it. <laughs> Looking back, you actually have way more ammo to talk about of having a kid now. You could be like, well, it might kill someone you love. And yeah. <laughs> If you had used this story to like as something that happened to somebody else to try and convince me not to have children— I would have been like, whatever, that's not going to happen to me. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, yeah. And even if it was, like, promised to happen to me, I still would have gone through with it, of course. Mm. That said, I think we're uh, one and done. <laughs> <laughs> wow, so you're saying that out loud. Yeah. So I get the question of, like, hey, when are you guys going to have another one a lot of the time? And I'm always kind of, like, <laughs> I want to— like, give them my book and be like, here, this is, uh, you should just maybe, like, before you ask people that casual question, like, read about what people go through to have their kids sometimes. Someone says, oh, when's, when's number two? And you're thinking, you want me to go back to my bathroom floor yogurt? <laughs> like, <what>? right? <laughs> Do you wish me dead? <laughs> Lucy's wonderful new graphic memoir is called Kid Gloves, and it comes out February 26th. This episode was produced by me, Andrea Salenzi, with Jackie Sajiko. We are edited by Amy Drostovska, with help from Peter Clowney. Our show's creator and executive producer is Hilary Frank. Our engineer is Pete Karam. Our technical director is the Reverend John Delore. Our music is performed by hotmoms.gov. We get editorial support from Antonia Acatunde, Anne-Marie Baldonado, Rekha Murthy, and Julia Wang. Next time on The Longest Shortest Time suburban mom finds herself attracting unwanted attention in a way only a mom can. It's because she's moving her kid's big toy car up the driveway and into the garage. As I park it, I hear him call out, sexy mama. <laughs> and I realize that the view he got was of me straddling this vehicle in my tight yoga pants. And the look on his face is like he won the lottery or something. Do not miss this episode. Subscribe to The Longest Shortest Time in Stitcher or wherever you're listening right now. And as always, here at The Longest Shortest Time, we want to hear from you. A lot of you might have ordered a DNA testing kit for the holidays this year, and those results are going to be coming back pretty soon. Keep us in mind. We want to hear about your surprising results, your new sibling. Tell us everything. Go to longestshortesttime.com. Hit the participate tab and submit your story. Stitcher. I say it. Okay.